There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Ludmilla Yamalova is uh, in the studio with us. Drive live. Talks legal. And it is nice to see you. I get to say Happy New Year to somebody else as well. So Happy New Year to you. Thank you very much. Happy New Year to you all as well. Very good to have you uh, back in town. Nice to have you here. There's a lot to talk about today. Uh, if you have a question for Ludmilla, 4001 via the free app, 423 to talk to Ludmilla directly. Here's a question in no name. And surprisingly, this is VAT related. Here you go, Ludmilla. VAT? And what is that? Uh, I, I'm hoping you're going to have a bit more information than uh, you've just claimed to have. Can VAT on commercial rents be claimed back? Some say yes, some say no, and should be considered. it should be considered as an expense. Also, can VAT for petrol on company vehicles be claimed back? Thanks. In short, uh, the first part of the question re- regarding claiming back VAT on commercial rents, yes. As long as there's any, as you pay VAT, it can be claimed back. So it it's not related, the, the, I guess the request to claim back VAT is not related to the type of property, the type of goods or services, uh, but rather whether you actually pay VAT or not. So anyone who pays VAT under the cer- certain cir- circumstances, if they're registered and such, uh, can claim VAT back. So that's the short question. Yes. Mm. Uh, now, with regards to and and therefore it can be an expense because basically it's it's the input VAT versus output uh, VAT. So you can so whatever VAT you pay, you subtract that from the VAT that you um, that you receive, and then you pay the margin. So this therefore, if, if it's the VAT that you've paid, you would subtract it from the VAT that you've collected, and therefore you know it's I guess in accounting uh, terms it can be considered as an expense now with regards with regards to the second part of the question that is um, uh, petrol for company vehicles once again yes uh, it's um, it, it is subject to VAT and that kind of VAT can be collected uh, back the VAT that cannot be claimed back is on entertainment for companies so if companies spend any money on entertainment um, that VAT cannot be claimed back oh that's a shame isn't it why would that be, Liv Miller, that that would be exempt from that? I don't think it would qualify Cavalli night. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that would qualify. It doesn't work. <laughs> that so, sounds like a professional expense. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, you've got to be registered to pay VAT to be able to offset the VAT you've paid. That, to Sorry, receive VAT to offset the VAT you've paid. You've got to be registered Correct. in order to claim that money back. Correct. Oh, right. Okay. Once again, we're back to regos. You see, it's all back about... Back to regos. It is all about the regos. Um, that was a question in. Just a reminder, if you have a question for Ludmilla, 4001 via the free app, 423 Uh The lines are open. Let's talk about the, the kind of the main topic today, and we are back to VAT once again, but there is, you know, there are so many questions uh, at the moment. The applicability um, of VAT on imported goods, or goods that are imported, Reported here for re-export is an area which uh, I guess is uh, still not fully understood. So, uh, does VAT, Ludmilla, apply to goods which are imported into the UAE later to be re-exported? First of all, in short, and this is a very, this is a, truly is a minefield and a very complex subject. But in short, the law is very clear that as long as the goods are being imported into the country for to later be re-exported by the same party, they are they are exempt from VAT. Therefore, they are not subject for VAT. Right. Right. Now, the general rule is that any goods or services that are export, exported are not subject to VAT or um, exempt from VAT. Goods that are being imported to be later re-exported, as long as they're by the same party, uh, those kinds of goods, the importation of those sort of goods is considered under the law as not being import. So it does not, it, 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 it is not registered or defined as import. So therefore, whenever you bring in goods to later, take them out of the country again, that's actually, technically speaking, not I- import. 
But so that has to be done through a certain process. You can't just say, yeah, I'm buying, bringing this in and I'll be sending it out later. They, are they goods that are held somewhere in the sort of customs system, if you like, because they're always going to be exported again? Sure, there is a customs suspension system, the, mecha- the mechanism of which are still being detailed. Uh, and the law does provide that the authorities, whoever they are, and most likely it's going to be customs, because actually the law is fairly clear also on the fact that it'll be, it's usually the obligation of the customs to collect uh, VAT and not, for example, FTA uh, being the federal tax authority. Um, so the customs, the, the provision in the law allows for, let's say, customs or whatever other authority may l- later be appointed to collect that VAT uh, and or, or to collect the value of uh, VAT for these uh, for the goods to be re-exported and hold them in some sort of a suspension regime. Now, the in terms of the value of that VAT, which later be refunded when the goods are being re-exported, uh, what's meant by the value, the, the value would be, I guess, the, the, the 5% of the value of the goods are being imported. However, the mechanism uh, under which you would you would secure that, that value is very important because for a lot of businesses to actually hold money uh, on account with the authorities um, that are usually their operating ca- uh, capital is, is quite taxing. Uh, so the law does provide, for example, for... Uh, for this, the, the security to be, it's an option. So it's if the, if the authorities ask for it. So it's not necessarily a requirement, uh, but we have to presume that some sort of requirement may be, um, may be sort of, may be an element. Uh, but um, the security could be done in any kind of form. So at least the law, the, the interpretation of the law allows for it. And that is, it could be money. Um, it could be a bank guarantee or it could be, for example, some other form of guarantee. It's it's not specific, but presumably there could be some other financial guarantees that would make it easier for the business um, to, uh, uh, to to manage their operating capital without having to keep this money aside with authorities, which will then they later be receiving back anyway. Isn't it? I, I mean, I, I don't know a great deal about this, but is there not some kind of bond system, some kind of bond guarantee system if you have goods in a holding pattern in this kind of customs suspended state? Uh, in theory, yes, and in, in, but this in, internationally, is I mean. internationally indeed. Yeah. And here, this is all very new territory. So right. this is where the mechanics are still being hashed out. Uh, but but certainly, the language of the law allows for it to be something other than just cash. And we know that many businesses here operate on bank guarantees. And therefore, we have to at least logically, it's um, it's it's reasonable to expect that some other forms of bonds or some other um, bank guarantees or some other um, paper guarantees versus actual cash could be used uh, to um, to guarantee that the goods are actually going to be exported uh, later on. I mean, we're two weeks into what is effectively a new regime, a new tax regime, so there are going to be teething problems. There are going to be uh, issues of awareness, I suppose. But uh, I, I guess people don't really know at the moment. Lots of companies must be asking uh, <laughs> a multitude of questions. Uh, yes, this is a very hot topic, as, yeah. uh, as you said. Uh, and this is just like anything. Anytime the new the, the law changes or the new regulations, there will be some growing pains, and we'll just need to uh, uh, to uh, kind of power through them. And uh, what we do also know is that the authorities are issuing further cabinet resolutions to provide further clarity, uh, and um, that's that's hopeful because whatever gaps in in perhaps language of the law um, that exists right now will, will certainly be covered in further regulations. And you have to wait as well, don't you, for things like, unfortunately, you have to wait for things like the relationship between the Federal Tax Authority and the customs and for the systems and the processes to mature. They are still 
to all intents and purposes in the the very there in the nascent stages. Uh, so, so the structure exists. Um, sure. The the mechanics and, and the detail of the structure are, are yet to be attested. But for example, um, there is a relationship between customs and FTA, and so there's a way to link for any any uh, traders um, who are importing goods or for uh, in particular for re-export. There's a way to link customs ID with TRN ID, which is the uh, tax registered number or TRN number, and th- and then you file an application or declaration through the FTA website as for every import or for every um, shipment that you get. You file this declaration. It's very important that you link the two numbers, the customs numbers and the FTA numbers together. And that's basically, so the, so the infrastructure for that relationship already exists. You know, I'm sure there'll be a few little knickknacks that we'll need to iron, be ironed out as, as we move forward. Okay, Ludmilla Malibu is here. Questions for Ludmilla of a legal nature. It doesn't have to be VAT, can be career-based. It could be whatever you are facing at the moment from a legal uh, perspective. Uh, let us know, 4001 via the free app or 423-1010. Overstaying of visas, that's one topic we're going to uh, look at. And also the uh, amendments or a new domestic law, in actual fact, that means gratuity for domestic work the details to come. Drive Live Talks Legal. And our guest is Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plethka. Let's uh, jump to uh, questions. We'll come to the new domestic law, gratuity for domestic workers, and uh, run through that in a short while. But let's look at uh, certificates of good standing. Um, lots of questions in. We'll start with this. Will the certificate of good standing requirement apply to visa renewals? I'm pretty sure, I'm fairly safe in saying it doesn't apply to renewals. It does not. Right. Okay. Only and for it is employment. it is a certificate of good standing that you have to uh, attain from February the fourth, I think it is, two thousand and eighteen. Correct. And that's new visas, and that's for whether you're coming to the UAE for the first time or you're applying for a new position from within the UAE. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. So look, there are quite a few questions on this, Lumina. Not surprisingly, people uh, when we talked about it last week, people worrying where they could get it from, and I think it's uh, from the country you've come from or that you've spent the last five years in. If that's here, you can get it. From from here. Uh, but Simon asks this, he says, with regard to the good conduct certificates for visa applications, uh, is it the case that if an individual has been convicted of any misdemeanour uh, and looks to move jobs and the new visa will be declined? And that's irrespective of the severity of the offence. So, for example, he says, will a bank robber uh, theoretically be treated the same as, say, a disorderly conduct? So a lot in there, but people are obviously concerned about what might come up on this and what might be uh, subject or cause them to be declined a visa. Um, sure, and 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 so the short answer: it depends. It depends in terms of which authority is going to be issuing it. So let's say, as far as the UAE is concerned, misdemeanor is treated the same way for the purposes of obtaining good con- conduct certificate as, for example, uh, you know, a graver offence such as robbery, uh, and that is because, in practical terms, to obtain a good c- uh, conduct certificate, you have to go to the police and you have to ask the, for the police to issue that your record, your criminal record, is clear. Well, the police sees whether it's a misdemeanor or robbery, they will not issue you a clearance certificate or because your record is not clear. Uh, so that's as far as um, as the UAE is concerned. Uh, with regards to other authorities in other countries and jurisdictions, it may be that for the purposes of this good conduct certificate or, or the police clearance certificate, um, they differentiate between misdemeanors and robberies, for example. And so therefore, it may be that in other countries, the police will issue good conduct certificate because they do not treat these kind of offenses as the same. 
So if you get your good conduct certificate here, uh, or you can't get it because it's not clear because you've had some sort of minor offence, does that mean you definitely can't get a visa? Or is it up to the new company? Or is it up to the visa? What What's going to stop you being able to move a job if you had, say, for example, a minor driving offence or something like that? Well, the driving offence is actually, it's, it's also important to understand that not all offences are actually misdemeanours. They just it could be violations. Um, so if it's just a violation, then that, um, that will not come up on the on the police record. Uh, uh, so it has to actually be a misdemeanor. Uh, so what happens if you actually don't get a, cl- a clearance certificate is, is an interesting question. The law makes it a requirement to submit a good conduct certificate, just like, for example, when you apply now... Uh, in particular for managerial position, or actually for most of the positions, you need to also present your attested degree certificate, just like that is a requirement now, or for example, to to, um, uh, to submit insurance, a health insurance coverage. If you don't submit one of those documents, then the authorities basically, you know, one of the requirements is missing, so the authorities will not issue. So for now, the law is, is drafted in the way that that is one of the requirements. Um, whether the authorities will have an opportunity to provide some sort of exemptions or waivers um, remains to be seen, but as far as the law is concerned, it is it doesn't seem to be an option. And so another important element to um, to mention for the UAE in particular, and that is in in most cases, when you file a criminal case, when a criminal case is filed, it's not necessarily hasn't really been finalized. So this um, but in the UAE, when a criminal case is filed and in simple terms, that person is now being wanted, if you will. Mm. And so when the criminal case is filed, the person, for example, cannot leave the country. So and that is, again, because of their status status as being wanted. So you could be at the very beginning of a criminal case and the case may never even you may never be acquitted or you might you might actually be acquitted. You may not be convicted. But yet, as long as that case is ongoing, you will not be able to get a good conduct certificate from the police because in their systems, you are shown as wanted. Okay, so if you are, uh, I don't know, there are bounce checks, for example, until that is resolved and checks are paid, uh, that's the situation. When, take bounce checks as an example, if that case is resolved and the checks are paid, the record is then clear. Correct. And bounce checks is an interesting example because because they happen so often. Yeah. Uh, so once a bounce check is paid, it's true, it does not stay on your record. So if you've had bounce checks, you don't need to worry that that somehow is going to pop up on your record with the police for the purposes of obtaining this good conduct certificate. Okay, so that's good conduct certificates. The questions therein uh, so far. We're going to come back uh, in a few minutes. We'll be talking about the domestic law, new domestic law, which means gratuity for domestic workers. Also, lots of questions that we're going to get to. Questions for Ludmilla? We've got space for one or two more. Get them in as quick as you can, 4001 or via the free app. This is Drive Live. Get in touch with the show. Text us on 4001. Our legal expert today is Ludmilla Yamalava. Drive Live. Talks legal. She's from Yamalava and Plethka answering questions. Lots of questions in my text. Yes, lots of people. 4001 if you want to add yours. Uh, Ludmilla, Abdullah has messaged in. He says a friend of his has a personal loan. Um, He just lost his job and um, as part of organisational restructuring. He's now unable to pay his instalment, his monthly instalment. The bank has collected the end-of-term benefits and frozen his account, but the end-of-term benefit only covers half the loan amount. Uh, What legal recourse, if any, does he have, given that he's now unable to pay the instalment on the remaining amount? 
Well, with regards to legal recourse, there isn't really much. Uh, and it's, it's just either to repay the loan because a loan is an obligation that needs to be repaid or, or restructure or negotiate some sort of uh, an, an amendment to the original agreement with the bank. Um, other than that, there's really nothing else that can be done. It's a really good idea to talk to your bank, though, isn't it? Uh, indeed, I would, that listen. should always be a starting point. Yeah. That should, I mean, it's yeah. If they will listen to something else, some but that's of them, true. yeah, some of them are be better than others point. at listening, aren't they? I mean, because it's a very difficult situation to be in. You've you've had your chunk of money paid. Obviously, that make that flags with the bank, so they know that's your end of service. They take the full amount, which means you've then got you've got no cash flow essentially. So they've paid off half your loan, but you now can't pay the interest on the rest. It's a very difficult situation. Indeed, and it can even be more complicated, um, and that is the bank would presumably have cash the checks and therefore now there's a criminal case against that person and so the person may not be able to leave the country to go and obtain uh, an employment somewhere else to be able to to um, earn a salary and repay the loan so uh, I guess that the moral of the story is just don't take any obligations you cannot service and um, just live within your means mm, okay two questions that are concerned with uh, whether or not you can uh, enforce a, uh, competi- a competition clause if you get a loan uh, from your previous employer does that go on your permanent record under the new conduct requirements sorry that's from uh, Shadi and then the other one here is uh, I joined a company in Dubai as a sales manager my current salary is just over 12,000 dirhams I found another attractive offer planning to resign from my current role my contract is a limited term two-year contract. Is there any chance for me to be banned uh, from working in the U.S.? Sorry, not competition, banned. Yeah, uh, you, you're being very helpful there, uh, combining the two questions, but let me uh, <laughs> let me try to segregate it. With regards to the first question, whether the ban from previous employer would impede the ability to get the new conduct require a certificate, no, because uh, having a ban from an employer is not a misdemeanor, so it has to be either a misdemeanor uh, or a, a, a graver offense, uh, and that's, it's not even done, a ban from an employer is not even really done by the authority, so that will not be reflected in the good conduct certificate okay. uh, unless it's for example an abscondment kind of a ban and it's you know and or uh, deportation because there are bans that are related to deportation where the person may not even be able to come into the country but I don't think this will come up in this case okay. uh, with regards to the second question and that is a sales manager with a 12,000 dirham salary um, wanting to terminate contract early uh, want, and wants to know whether he can um, um, he will he can escape the ban so to speak or the employment ban yes uh, by uh, by uh, I guess reading the message by uh, your representation sounds like you have a managerial position if you have a managerial position then uh, at least in theory, you should have been, or legally, you should have you should have a university degree. In the UAE these days, if you the bans, the employment bans are no longer automatic as they used to be. Um, so if you have a university degree, you're not subject to employment bans, uh, and it's really it's irrespective of how often you served um, for your previous employer. Uh, and also, so there are a few other requirements, such as also the salary itself. So if your job, if your next job pays you more than your previous job and at least 10,000 dirhams, then um, then that's another requirement or um, for uh, for the ban not to apply or inapplicability of the ban. Sometimes, depending on which zone you are working in, sometimes there's a ban, automatic ban, uh, but you will be able to lift this ban once you show that um, you have a university degree. But the general rule is the UAE is welcoming more qualified professionals, so they do not want to restrict uh, movement of, of professionals. And, the, and that's w- with that in mind that the ban was, or the requirement that the ban was lifted a few years ago. Okay. One here on end of service benefits, as there always is. Uh, my basic salary is 40% of my total compensation. Can I contest for better end of service? They, no, uh, that's, uh, well... 
there is no sort of steadfast rule in the, either the law or the court precedents with regards to what's the right proportion of salary between the basic salary and allowances. Uh, but in the court's eyes, it has to be reasonable. Uh, we know that 50-50 and 40-60 is 40, meaning 40 um, allowances and 60 basic salary um, have been held reasonable. Uh, with regards to 40 being basic salary and 60 allowances, it's not too far from 50-50. Um, that, so the chances are uh, that uh, the courts would uphold this um, as being reasonable uh, but uh, in any event if you did want to challenge it it would be challenged in court um, there, the way to challenge the dentist's benefits perhaps and I'm not sure if this is your case is that if you have been receiving bonuses or commissions or any of that that you have to add on to your basic salary so that would that might increase your dentist's benefits uh, that's what we've talked about at length uh, on this program in recent times as well two questions very quickly if possible my company's made a decision to move from a free zone to onshore to save costs. Is there any negative effect in terms of employees' uh, work conditions, rules and regulations and end of term calculations? In short, no. And in fact, in some ways, it it may be more beneficial for some employees to be um, outside of a free zone. And that is because <clears throat> outside of a free zone, uh, all companies have what's called the wage protection system, WPS, mm. where companies are required to deposit the salary for the employees, employees every month. And if there is a default, then the authorities basically block the license. So that gives further guarantees to the employees, for example, that they will uh, uh, will be paid um, timely. So that's actually one benefit. But in terms of detriments, not no, not really. Okay. While that- we're on end of service, can we ask you, Ludmilla, about this uh, very quickly about this new part of the law that protects domestic workers and their right to end of service? Yes, and that this is our cliffhanger. There's a lot more to it. Uh, we can discuss. We can discuss next show. But as of a new domestic law that was issued at the end of last year, and now all domestic employees are are entitled uh, to receive end-of-service benefits, which is a massive uh, uh, departure from the previous law uh, that did not um, uh, did not have any end-of-service benefits um, um, accommodations for uh, domestic law- uh, workers. Now there is domestic um, th- there is uh, end-of-service benefits for domestic workers, which is 14 days of basic salary for every year of service. Okay, so that is news. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail next week. That'll be one of the topics. Plus, VAT question, classic cars for Mike. So we'll come back to that question as well. That's all the time we have today. Ludmilla Yamalova is from Yamalova and Pleska. Happy New Year. Welcome back. Nice to see you. Thank you. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.